Isaiah 7. How many of you still bring your Bibles to church? Hmm. How many of you use a digital device all the time to read the Word? I'm just curious. No halfways. You're either all or my wife's halfway, halfway, halfway. Just curious. It's hard to do a series on Christmas and not read Isaiah 7, 14. It says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You will see this repeated again in chapter 8, verse 8, and sweep into Judah until it is chin deep. It'll spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other. Oh, Emmanuel. And then Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Usually I'm not giving you multiple references, but it is Christmas. Matthew 1.23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Father in heaven, when you sent your son into the world, when God became man, it changed everything. It changed everything. And Father, I ask... As much as we may or may not love the Christmas season, I pray that we would not let it slip by, that its significance wouldn't be lost in the busyness and the preparation of the season. God, restore the beauty of Christmas and show us in your word what it really, really, really is all about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated. If you weren't here last week, when we began our Christmas series called From the Manger to Messiah, we made a strong case for why we should celebrate Christmas, which I'll be doing the whole series long. And I even used an argument that's not necessarily scriptural for those who are Christians, but they don't observe and they don't practice Christmas because of its pagan origins, and we talked about how that December 25th date was chosen to kind of be an in-your-face to the holiday that was being practiced or the pagan day that was being practiced that honored the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. It's as if the early church was saying, we know who the son of righteousness is. He's who the prophet Malachi said he is in Malachi 4, verse 2. He's the son of righteousness that will rise up with healing in his wings, not the idol that you're worshiping. I used the argument, the, the, the argument of how coffee uh, originally was considered the devil's drink and uh, how Pope Clement VIII baptized it and made it a Christian drink and now we have cafes in our churches so if you can drink coffee with its pagan origins, its Islamic origins, why you can, you can celebrate Christmas too. So today I want to look at the significance of the phrase and they will call him Emmanuel. There's only three places in Scripture that you're going to find the term Emmanuel. You're going to find it in Isaiah 7:14, Isaiah 8:8, 8, 8, and in Matthew 1:23. The only places in Scripture that you're going to find it. 
If they were to call him Emmanuel, why didn't they? Why didn't they? Because it says, and they will call him Emmanuel. Why didn't they call him Emmanuel? Because it was more of a description for him than a name for him. It was more of a declaration than it was a name that the Lord was given. As the pillar New Testament commentary puts it, Emmanuel was his name in the sense that all that was involved in that name found its fulfillment in him. It's the incarnation. Why is celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas important? Because in so doing, you're declaring the incarnation, God becoming man. Come on. I, I, this, this time of year, I love Christmas music. I absolutely love Christmas music. But think about some of the songs that we're so familiar with. Think about them. Songs that tell us to fall on our knees and to hear the angels sing. Oh, night divine, why is it divine? It's divine because God became man. Because God became man. Not some created being that came into the world. The creator came into the world and took on flesh. And any, any false belief system will struggle with who Jesus is. With who he was and who he is. Any false belief system will struggle with it. But for Christians, everything that we believe revolves around Christ. Even Christmas revolves around Christ. And so what a wonderful opportunity for us to declare as Christians during Christmas what the season is really, really all about. What a wonderful time, and I'm praying that you don't miss it. God becoming man. Emmanuel, God with us. I love how the Apostle John put it in John 1.14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Matthew's gospel, though, is unique concerning the incarnation. It's unique. Because... It's the only one to use the term Emmanuel in the first chapter. And then I want to show you how it ends in the last chapter, Matthew 28, and verse 20. So in the first chapter, it's declaring Emmanuel. And in the very last verse of the last chapter, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It declares Emmanuel in the first chapter and reaffirms Emmanuel in the very last verse of the last chapter. Start to finish, it is about Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus promising before he ascends into heaven, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Regarding the name Emmanuel, the Pillar New Testament commentary says, the quotation and the translation of the Hebrew name underline the fact that in Jesus, nonetheless, then God came right where we are. And at the end of this gospel, Matthew's gospel, there is the promise that Jesus will be with his people to the end of the age. God with us indeed. God with us indeed. New American Commentary says the church in every age should recognize here a clear affirmation of Jesus' deity and cling tightly to this doctrine as crucial 
for our salvation. So why? Why did they name him Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, we have that answer. Matthew 1, 20. Look at 20 and 21. It says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why did they name him Jesus? Because the angel of the Lord told Joseph to. And Jesus means the Lord saves. Means the Lord saves. Saves from what? Well, verse 21 tells us that Jesus will save his people from their sins. He'll save his people from their sins. It makes scriptures like Hebrews 4 very powerful. If you've got your Bibles with you, go to Hebrews 4 with me. And verse 14. I love verses 14 through 16. This is speaking about Jesus Christ, our great high priest. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't it amazing that we can come boldly to God's throne? It's not an old system where one person would go one time a year, the high priest, to make atonement for everybody's sins. You and I can boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Because of everything that Jesus did. Why? Because of the incarnation. God sending his son into the world, taking on sinful, corrupt flesh, yet not sinning. Yet he did not sin. And because of that, we can boldly come. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are? There is no way that you're ever going to come to God's throne and God's going to say, what are you talking about? I can't even identify with what you're struggling with. I have absolutely no, no way. Why? Because Jesus struggled with everything that you could struggle with except he didn't sin. And so now at the right hand of the throne, we can boldly approach that throne to obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. And that grace and mercy is given to you and I because Jesus was tempted in the same way that we are. I love that. I love the fact that we can boldly approach a throne of a God who knows what we're going through. Not only did he create us, but he knows us. He understands us. He fashioned and formed us, knit us in our mother's womb, Psalm 139 said. We're fearfully, wonderfully made. It's not some stranger approaching his throne and God saying, who are you? God's saying, you know what? I get it. Isn't it amazing that the very one who created you gets you? The things that you struggle with aren't foreign to him. The Bible says, 
Whoever comes to him, in, in no wise he'll, he'll cast you out. No way will he push you away. God's never too busy to hear your pleas, your cries. God's never stiff-arming you and saying, could you, you come to me tomorrow? i got a heavy day today. I'm kind of booked. Not going to happen. New American Commentary says, as God with us, Jesus enables us to come boldly before God's throne when we accept the forgiveness of sins that he made available and develop an intimate relationship with him. Jesus made everything available. All we have to do is accept it. And God's still providing. And that provision is always there. It's just a matter of whether or not we're going to boldly approach God to receive what we need. I mean, isn't that what we just read? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. God's gracious. Don't ever forget that our God's gracious. He is a gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love the fact that we are to boldly approach his throne even here on earth. Pastor John, how do you approach a heavenly throne from a earthly standpoint? How do you approach a heavenly throne while we yet remain here on earth? How would you approach any throne? You would approach it humbly. Yet you can boldly come, but in humility you come because you are coming before a throne, but it's the throne of a gracious God. Not a severe, not a harsh, but a loving and a gracious God. And you can boldly approach him to obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. What you need in a time of, God, I need grace. I need, I, I need grace here. God, I, I, I need mercy here. I need mercy. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would be walking along the streets and those in need of healing would cry out, have mercy, have mercy. Isn't it amazing that people in need of healing saw God's touch in God's hand as a part of his mercy? And you can boldly approach God's throne. I believe that you can be humble and you can be bold at the same time. But keep in mind, it is a throne that you're approaching. It's not the counter of a, of a, a, a gas station. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a store counter. It's not, a, it's, it, it's, it's not some coffee shop counter. It is a throne that you're approaching. And though you can boldly come, please Keep in mind that it's a throne nonetheless, and it's the throne of a gracious God. So you're approaching a gracious God to obtain grace and mercy in a time of need. And God provided that forgiveness for you and stated it at the very beginning of the book of Matthew that we just read. And she will have a son. You're to name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Even at Jesus' birth, it was announced that there would be forgiveness of sin. I don't think the church can preach it hard enough and long enough today. And isn't it amazing that part of the Christmas story, part of the announcement of Christ's birth, forgiveness was in there. And yet we struggle forgiving ourselves and we struggle believing that a God that we cannot see could possibly forgive us of our sin. I tell you that he can. And I tell you that he will. 
I guess it's a matter of whether or not you're going to approach his throne. And isn't it a great thing to know that eternity doesn't rest in our reasoning, but God's and God's alone? Isn't it great that his thoughts and ways are higher than ours? We might not let ourselves off the hook, but what a gracious God he is. We, we might not be able to let it go and forgive ourselves, but what a gracious God he is. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 describes what a wonderful God he is. 1 John 1, 9, many of you know. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. That word if, though, it's an enormous word in the Scripture. If we confess our sins to him. Leads me to believe that there can't be any cleansing unless there's a confession. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's something very, very powerful about realizing that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. Something very, very transformational about that acknowledging that you are sinful before a mighty yet a gracious God. And yet how powerful is God that he is able to cleanse us. How amazing it is. And I want you to know that I don't stand up here with some perfect past, born with some silver spoon in my, in my mouth. I have a past maybe similar to a lot of yours. I used drugs and I slept around and you name it from weed to coke to mushrooms to hash under glass to whatever speed. Um, it's amazing to me, though, the speed that was illegal in my day. You can now buy over the counter this day. It's crazy. Um, you can buy speed in a drink these days. But I came to God believing that, man, God, if you're real, then everything Scripture says about you has got to be real. I came to God just once I sensed his presence. I, 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 I just I knew that I could come to him. And I felt like if, if he was allowing me to sense his presence, then he wasn't keeping himself from me. So why should I keep myself from him? I'm glad that my mind's not so analytical that I kept myself from God. I think sometimes we think so hard that we think ourselves right out of the greatest and most wonderful relationship that we could ever know on this earth, and that is one with the living God. And if you think that Jesus came and became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would all find a church to attend... You're missing it. Man, Jesus came and he provided for us forgiveness of sins. He provided salvation for us. He provided a way where there was no way. That is what the gospel is all about. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus, that Jesus came, he died, was buried, rose again on the third day, and was seen by over 500 people in his resurrected state. That's the gospel. You can read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. That's what the gospel is. When the gospel's preached, it's preaching Jesus. Anything that doesn't preach Jesus is not the gospel. And what better time of the year than Christmas to speak about Christ? It all revolves around Christ. This time of year, more than any other, we are announcing the incarnation. We are announcing that God became man. No wonder why the apostle John said, any, any spirit that says that 
God did not become flesh. It's of the Antichrist. John did not mince any words. You don't mess with the incarnation. You don't touch it. God became man. God became man, took on flesh, dwelt among us. And he provided salvation. His very name, Jesus, says salvation. He is with us. His name, Emmanuel, declares it. He provided forgiveness of sins. God's provided it all. The decision isn't what God will do. He's already done it. The decision is what you will do. It's never going to be what God will do. He's already done it. It's going to be what you're going to do with what God has done. Will you receive? Will you accept? Or does it have to continue to meet to, to your standard, your logic, your reasoning? Today I'm asking you to receive the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever receive, and that's Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? The first Christmas gift was a child. The incarnation. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given long before Jesus was a baby in a manger. He was God. God the Son. And I just want to pray as maybe the gravity of this is hitting you for the first time as you're thinking about these things for the first time. I just want to offer opportunity for you today to receive what Jesus did because the price that he paid, it's still extended to anyone who believes, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. And so would you close your eyes with me?